don't allow that, and even when they do allow it, they don't allow them really to get away very far. I told Jessica I didn't charge my phone for about three days because nobody was calling me and nobody was texting me. It was wonderful, uh, and I appreciate that. appreciate you guys allowing our family to kind of get away and kind of get recharged and get focused in. I'm excited about uh, this fall. I'm excited about the things that are coming. We are still in our summer preaching series. I know some of you are thinking, how long is this going to last, right? Well, it's going to last all the way through this month. I'm, I am, uh, Justin and I sat and had, she was drinking coffee this morning, we were sitting on the couch, and we had this conversation about how we're ready for uh, cool weather and football on Saturdays and uh, blankets on the back porch and chili in the crock pot, but we're, we're not quite there yet, right? Uh, we're, we're getting closer, but uh, we're still in our summer series, and so we're going to push this all the way through uh, the end of August and then in September. I'm really excited about uh, things that are going to happen in September. September, uh, we're going to launch our our local outreach ministry. We're going to kind of uh, give you guys a vision that I've had for the last few months, and our, our Haiti mission team has been kind of tossing this around a couple of times, and uh, and kind of talk about what it really means to be in our community and what church really looks like outside of the four walls of the church building. And so I'm really excited about September. Uh, I'm going to preach through a, a series that I'm going to call It Takes a Village. It talks about how we as a community have to really kind of uh, work within our community and, and, and make change happen within our community. We can't just sit in a church and expect things to change. So that's all coming in September. Uh, this morning, we're going to be back in Romans, Romans chapter 12. I'll give you a quick little overview. Uh, in June, I know it seems like June was forever ago, we started this look into Romans. We've uh, kind of gone through this systematically throughout the, the summer. We started talking about first with, remember we talked about the climate of Rome, uh, about Nero and, and kind of how he set the social climate that was so against Christianity and, and how Paul wrote this letter in the face of that negative aspect toward Christianity. and kind of just said, I don't care what you think, Rome. This is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to love each other. And and he, we kind of get our theme verse from that very first chapter in, in Romans, and it says, this should be on the screen, it says, uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And we talked about how we are all really supposed to be set apart. And then in week two, we talked about how we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and how so many times we, we cash in what God has to say, and we believe what the world has to say. Week three, we talked about how there's no difference. Remember, we set up the dichotomy between the Jews and the Gentiles and how really we're all the same under the law, and we're all the same under sin. And because of uh, what Jesus did on the cross, we have justification for our sin. We are made right in God's eyes because of what He did, nothing because of what we were going to do. Week four, uh, we talked about suffering produces, and that really hit home with a lot of us. It hit home with me. It was a hard uh, message to preach personally because nobody likes to suffer, right? Nobody likes to have to go through those hard things to produce something in our life. We talked about how it produces character and, and hope and perseverance and those things that are kind of this cyclical cycle, a good cycle that kind of brings us back to hope every time. Week five, we talked about uh, probably one of my most favorite passages in Scripture where it says, why do I not do the things that I want to do, and why do I continue to do the things that I don't want to do? And we, we kind of walked with Paul as he kind of tried to explain that to us in his own words, and, and I think it resonated with a lot of us because we're in that battle, right? We're in this fight of, there's a lot of things that I know that I need to do, and I want to do those things, but it just seems like I just keep getting drugged back into the 
this hole of stuff that I've, I've been trying to get rid of for a long, long time. Uh, week five uh, was that, and then, then Dustin preached this last week for me out of Romans and, and talked about um, all things working together for the good of those who love him, and that's kind of the hook on that. You've got to love him. He's not going to just make things happy for you, but you've got to really devote yourself and love him. And then this week, uh, we're going to do something kind of out of the ordinary for me. I, I like to just kind of pick a, a, a little passage and really expound on that, but really the whole chapter of chapter 12 all kind of goes together. So we're going to kind of chunk that out and talk about all of Romans chapter 12 and, and, and see how this really gives us some practical to-do things. Paul really begins to lay out some, some really neat thoughts here, and he kind of clumps them together. If you, if you do some study, you're going to see how they, they kind of kind of almost fall into threes or threes or fours, how they kind of just kind of kind of all work together really well to produce one main thought. Then there's another group that works one main thought. So if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to start in verse 3, chapter 12, verse 3. And it starts off like this. It says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith God has given you. Now the preceding verses here are the verses that everybody thinks about when you think about Romans chapter 12. It's the, the do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And he kind of gives us this incredible kind of charge, and he comes in the backside of it with verse 3 that I love. And he says, this is how you're going to be transformed. And before he ever even starts, he kind of qualifies what he's going to say. He says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. He's basically saying, I have no room to talk here. I'm no expert. I don't have everything figured out. I'm, I'm not coming at you with a holier-than-thou attitude. I'm just saying, I've experienced some grace in my life. I've made some mistakes in my life. I've kind of walked these paths before, and by the grace that God's extended to me, I'm about to give you some truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down some truth. And I want you to receive that. This, listen, this is how everything that comes from this pulpit comes from. I, I don't have everything figured out. I'm not the greatest Christian ever. Uh, TJ and Dustin, I, I would say our whole staff, falls into this umbrella of, listen, we've made a lot of mistakes. We've done a lot of things that we're not supposed to do. We've kind of walked some paths in life that we can sit back and we can say, listen, let, by the grace that's been given to me, let me, let me tell you something. Let me, let me impart some, maybe some wisdom on you. You guys have been in that position before. You've been in that circle before where you're trying to talk to somebody about something. Listen, saying, listen, I've been there, and it's not worth it. This is what happened to me. This is kind of the world, road that I had to walk down. And let me, just, let me just keep you from doing that. This is kind of how Paul qualifies this whole thing and the very first thing he says is don't think you're better than you are because you're not right this is this is his qualifying statement to punch you in the mouth hey let me I, man this is coming from love i love you so much but you're not that special right he just kind of comes right in and kind of hits us right where it hurts because we kind of think of ourselves as special we kind of think of ourselves as you know god broke the mold when he made me well thank the Lord, right? We, we all kind of think that maybe we're so much more unique and so much more special than maybe we really are. And Paul comes along and says, maybe you shouldn't think like that. The original Greek 
uh, written here. I'm not going to read it to you because I probably wouldn't be able to pronounce most of the words. But it, it translates like this. It's really pretty neat. Don't be high-minded above what you ought to be minded. But be so minded as to be sober-minded. I love how, and Paul does this all through, if you read through any of Paul's letters, he, he, he word plays a lot. And you have to kind of go back to the original language to understand it because the English translation doesn't do it justice. But this idea of being minded plays on itself through this. It kind of bounces off the tongue. And he's trying to say, you need to be minded about being sober-minded. You need to be focused on what matters most. And guess what? You are not what matters most. He, he kind of hits on something that we all know to be true, right? We all know people, and do this without pointing, right, or cutting your eyes over. We all know somebody, at least one somebody, if it's not five or six somebody's, that think that they are the be-all and the end-all, right? They are, remember this phrase from the late 90s, all that in a bag of chips? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all are like, nah, I've never heard that before. You're not old enough. Uh, some of you think that you've got it all figured. We know people who, people are jealous of them, that their kids are the greatest kids, that everything they do is great, that they, they just, everything, I mean, they sweat excellence, right? Like you just know these people. And, and you just, you just kind of, just kind of cringe a little bit when they're around and when they begin to talk. Uh, how about their marriage is the greatest marriage ever and their finances are the greatest finances ever and their kids make perfect grades in school and never get in trouble and probably are going to be the greatest people that ever lived on the face of the earth because everything about them is the best. This doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. Honestly, those kind of people struggle with things that they'll never want you to know and they deal with insecurity and they deal with social anxiety, and they deal with rejection and the fear of rejection on a level that they never, ever want to talk about. And, and when we hear this, and we hear Paul say, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, we think, well, he's talking about those people. He's talking about those people that walk around acting like they don't stink, right? That, 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 that everything in their life is the greatest in the world. And, and really, I don't believe he's talking about those people. Because those are the people that we can all spot. Those are the people that we can all point out and say, yeah, yeah, they, they are the ones he's probably talking to. But I believe that Paul is talking to just regular, everyday folks. Just everyday, regular people who go about their life and consistently make decisions that are not over the top, but they continue to put their needs and their wants and their desires above what God has for them. They, they continue to say, okay, God, I understand that you're kind of important, but this to me is more important. This to me is a bigger deal than maybe you are at the moment. I think Paul is trying to bring some attention to people who are saying, you know, God, maybe what you want in this situation is optional. And I'm going to do kind of, I'm going to do what I want to do. We fly under the radar. Those people fly where they're not, they're not making a spectacle, but they're just consistently kind of just doing their thing. And, and really, in our, in our culture, in our atmosphere here in South Arkansas, they're good old boys. They're what you people say are good people. I've never heard that phrase before until I moved to South Arkansas. Oh, they're good people. What's that mean? Like, they're just, they're good. But they're really, they're not really living their life defined by what God's got for them. They're just kind of doing what they want to do he says don't be 
high-minded. Set your mind on being sober-minded. That, that translation, that word sober-minded, literally translates into uh, curb one's passion. It's saying, this is what I want, but what I want is not near as important, God, as what you want. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rein myself in a little bit. I'm going to kind of come underneath some uh, leadership. I'm going to come underneath the umbrella of your provision. And I'm going to kind of live life by your terms and not by my terms. Interestingly enough, he says at the, verse of in, at the end of verse 3, you do all that by the measure of faith that God has given you. This is talking about applying all this stuff that we've talked about in the previous 11 chapters. He says, you take all this that we've talked about, about building your faith and developing perseverance and character and hope and all the things that we've talked about through week four, five, six, and you apply it here. You make it real here by the measure of faith that God's given you. You begin to, to apply this in your life and make it real. You put yourself in the correct perspective and saying what I want and the things about me are less than the things that God has for me. He keeps going. Verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This is kind of resonated in Scripture a couple of different times. You talk about, there's a passage that talks about if there, the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were a mouth, where would the you know, where, where would the feet be, or what, all that kind of stuff. You know, this is kind of repeated through Scripture a number of different times, and Paul here says it in chapter 12 by just saying that, you know, when you have the correct perspective on your life, then you have the correct perspective on the body of Christ as well, and how we all work together, and how, how when we know, this is a touchy phrase, when you know your role, don't, husbands, don't go home and say that to your wives, know your role. When you know your role, in, in how you are supposed to see yourself in view of God, then you know your role within the church. You know your role within the body, the collective body. And when you know it, you serve it. You do it. It's, it's this idea of everybody wanting to be center stage and everybody wanting to be like in front of everybody or, or maybe having a mic in your hand and getting to say whatever you want to say or getting to sing whatever you want to sing or getting to play whatever you want to play. But if we all did that, where would our small group teachers be? If we all were small group leaders, where would our, uh, where would our, our, our workers be? Where would the people who, who show up before anybody else shows up at church and and, and turns on all the air conditioners and all the lights and sweeps off the front porch and gets everything ready and turns on the sound system and all the stuff that happens for church to happen, where would those people be? Listen, when we know where we are and we say, you know what, we're just supposed to serve our role and function. And there's something I'm supposed to be doing here because I'm not most important. I'm not the, the center of attention. I'm not the person that's supposed to be the main person. Listen, I'm not the person that's the main person. I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is. And when we all focus our attention on that, then we all realize, hey, we've got a job to play to help him be the boss. He's already there. we just, we got stuff to do. we got the little stuff to do. We've got things that we're supposed to be doing on our own end. And when we have ourselves in the right perspective and the right understanding of that I'm not the most important, I'm not going to think of myself more highly than I should, then I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to work with children 
are, st- are teenagers or old people. I'll do whatever I'm supposed to do because I'm here to serve a role and a function. And when I get a certain age, that function doesn't disappear. Or I don't have to be a certain age to do certain things. We all have a job to do. He explains this even further, and we're going to kind of kind of hit and miss this. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We all have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, then let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. I love that very first part. We all have different gifts. Somebody Turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm not like you. Say it. Say it, mean, say it mean it. I'm not like you. Now look at them and say, thank God. Right? Right, because we're all, we all different. Right? Thank you. Some of you are like, yeah, thank God. I'm not like you either. Right? Because we're all different. We're all supposed to be doing different things. Uh, we're not all called to work with kids. We're not all called to work with senior adults. We're not all called to cook. We're not all called to teach. But what we're supposed to do, we better be doing. That's the in-between the lines if we're going to read through this. He lists off, and it's not an exhaustive list by any means at all, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. Those are the seven things he lists here. All different gifts that we are all gifted with. And if we read between the lines, what Paul's really saying is if you have these abilities, you better be using them. You better be doing what you're doing. If you're a teacher, how dare you not teach? If you are able to give, then you better give generously. If you have the gift of leadership, listen, when people will do anything to be around you, to be involved with you. They want to hang out with you. They want to do the things that you're doing. You have that magnetic personality. There's people in our church that have that. Then you better be leading in a right direction. There are many people in this church and many people in churches all over, not just Emmanuel Baptist Church, who are like the flat tire of a bus. They have the ability to be filled with air and to serve their function, but they're just kind of flopping around. They're just making noise. They're serving no real help. And they're not really doing what they're designed to do. Because here's what I've noticed. Here's what I found in, in, in the 20 years of ministry I've been in. People are going to do what they're designed to do. It's just whether or not that you're going to do it for His glory or your own. People are going to do what you're designed to do. You're just whether it's going to be for His glory or for your own glory. Mercy givers are going to give mercy to people that they want to. See, God calls us to be mercy givers to everybody, especially to those who have hurt us. Givers are going to give money when they want to. The Scripture calls us to give sacrificially. To give and to trust God to take care of us. Encouragers are going to encourage us. Leaders are going to lead. The question is, where are they leading? Where are you? If you're a leader, listen, 
If you've got people who are consistently around you and you're not leading people to Jesus, if you're not leading them into what real relationship with Christ looks like, then you're, re- you're leading the wrong way. You're doing what you're designed to do. You're just not doing it for Him. You're doing it for yourself. He says all this. He kind of sets us all up with this idea of knowing who you are, knowing how small you are compared to Him. Knowing that you have a job to do, you have a gift that's been given you, that you should be doing those things. And then he says, I'm going to give you some do's and don'ts. I'm going to give you a list of do's and don'ts, but he starts them all off with verse 9. Love must be sincere. It's kind of an odd way to start a list of do's and don'ts. If you have a King James Version, I, I love the way it says, it says, love must be without dissimulation. It's a very fancy word that just means without hypocrisy. Love must be without hypocrisy. Must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I, as I was typing all this out and praying through this, I thought, why, why God, do we have, why are we going to start a list of do's and don'ts with love must be sincere? Why are we going to, why are we going to start off this whole big thought, this big list, really there's, in verses 10 through 21, he gives us 26 do's and don'ts. 26. And he starts all of it with, love must be sincere. I thought, why? You can't fake it with God. That's what I wrote down in all capital letters. You can't fake it with God. He knows when you're faking it. And everybody else knows when you're faking it. Love, which is what is driving these next few things, has to be sincere. It has to be from a point of, you know what, I'm not the greatest. And you know what, I have a role to play. And I'm just here to, I'm just here to, to do what I'm supposed to do. I, I want to I point people to Jesus no matter how that is, whether it's teaching or cooking or serving or watching kids or playing in rec or, or teaching a class or just sending letters of encouragement to people or watching over people who are sick in the hospital. I'm just going to do, you know, I'm going to do my role. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be a prayer person that defines my life by how I interact and converse with God. I'm going to play my role. I'm going to do it with the most sincerity that I can have because, God, I'm, I'm yours to be used. It's all about you. Paul says in the Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, faith expressing itself through love. I think this is what he's talking about. This is, this is our faith expressing itself in these do's and don'ts. And it's all filtered through love. Martin Luther's commentary on Romans says this about this next passage of Scripture. All this Paul writes in the interest of unity. For nothing is likely to cause so much division as when people do not stay within the proper bounds of their calling, but neglect their own ministry to break in on others. See, he's not giving us this list, and when we get into them, you're going to be able to see... The first one is be devoted to other and, and brotherly love. Honor one another. Never be lacking in zeal. All these things. It's not for you to walk up to somebody and go, you know what? I don't think you're devoted to other people. I don't think you have the zeal that you're supposed to have. It's, it's to call us together, not to divide us. And when he says, the, the, the thing that's going to cause mo, the most damage is when people take these and start trying to apply them to other people instead of applying to themselves. So let's, let's just dive in. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be 
be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fever serving the Lord. King James Version, I know I keep going back to this, but it's, it just has some really neat wordings in this. Verse 10 says, Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. I like that. You know how you honor someone? The Greek word for the word honor is teme. T-I-M-E. Time. You spend time with someone you want to honor. The last day of vacation, we were um, we were out on the beach at night. Some uh, Our whole family went. Jessica's mom and dad and sister and our brother-in-law and then his family came along as well, which was great. We loved being on the... Uh, our brother-in-law's parents bought the boys some toys. They were a little light up, like shoot them in the sky helicopter things and so at the and the beach at about nine o'clock at night we all ran out there and it looked like aliens were landing on the beach all these little light up things were coming down and hovering and we'd shoot them back up and we're having so much fun and uh we came up and everybody was kind of doing their thing getting stuff packed up and i went downstairs to hop in the shower and get cleaned up and i came out and, and brody and jacks were downstairs with me in our little room and jess and i and the boys were down there and uh and the boys were down jess was still upstairs uh doing whatever and and Brody said, hey, Dad, um, can we just stay down here for a minute? And I said, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we need to get upstairs. Everybody else is upstairs. What's up? And he said, it's just been a while since we've had some father-son's talks. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you want to talk about, buddy? So we sat down on the bed, and uh, and Brody and Jacks both, were just they just started talking about the week, and Brody was talking about children's camp and some stuff that he got to do. And, 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 they, and they said this, and this is, I'm kind of bragging on my kids, and that's okay. They said, I, I just like vacation time with our family, Dad. I like spending time with you guys. And I was like, because I'm a crier, I cried everything, and I was like, hold it in, Matt. I was like, I like spending time with you guys, too. And we stayed down there for like 15 minutes. Jessica came in the room. She's like, is everybody okay? And I was like, hey, we're good. We're just having some father-son's talks. And, uh, and you know, those are the things. I think back about vacation. That's the things that I'm going to remember. Not sitting and jumping waves in the ocean. That's, that's fun. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to remember things about my boys talking with me. Why? Because we're going to spend some time with each other. And he didn't know that. But he was honoring me by just wanting to spend some time with me. And the Bible says very clearly that we're supposed to honor one another. That we're supposed to spend time with each other and, and put other people above ourselves. And we do all that in serving each other. We love on each other. Something that we, we don't always, because listen, we don't, we got too much going on. I, I intentionally left my watch at home last week. I didn't, I didn't want to know what time it was. I didn't care what time it was. Because when you don't care what time it is, you don't care if you're late or not. And you can just kind of enjoy the moment as it is. You can kind of enjoy the conversation and not worry about, oh, we've got to get this done, we've got to get this done, we've got to get this done. You just you, you take time and you focus on what's most important. Verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in in prayer. If you could write anything on your forehead, I would tell you to write this on your forehead. This is an incredible three little commands here. Be joyful in hope. 
Be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. I think we're pretty good on those two top two. Joyful hope, hope kind of brings out joy in us. We're going we're gonna to hope that God's going to take care of us. We're going to hope that he's going to see us through the situation. We're going to be patient. Some of us, we talked about that a few weeks ago, about being, you know, suffering produces and being patient through that process. But that idea of being faithful in prayer sometimes is hard, right? When, when life is going easy and going good, we're just kind of rolling with it. But when something crazy happens, we all become like prayer monsters. And I use that word literally. We, we, we kind of jump out and we try to attack prayer when we haven't really consistently communicated with God in a very long time. And we begin asking and begging and pleading with God to do something for us for our benefit or for the benefit of someone else when we haven't really begun to develop that relationship with God to have the ability to ask those things of Him. To be faithful in prayer means that, that we have a consistent communication with God. That when those crazy things happen, it's not out of the ordinary for us to say, Hey God, I, w- I would really like for you to see over this situation. God, I, I need you to kind of intervene here or maybe just bring some understanding to me because I don't quite understand. And God, I know that you'll reveal yourself through our consistent conversation. God, I know that you'll reveal yourself to us because I'm faithful in prayer. We, we have too many prayer pacifists and not prayer warriors, right? We, we overlook this idea of the importance of communicating with the creator of everything. And too often we just see that as one more thing that we can do, or, or maybe on my drive to work, I'll try to talk to God while I'm listening to the radio and dodging traffic. Or maybe I, I, I'll try to catch it a couple of minutes before I go to sleep, and, and I'll, I'll thank God for the things that happened that day right before I fall asleep, but that's not what prayer is designed to be. Prayer is designed to be a constant communication, where it's not abnormal for you just to stop and just say, okay, God, this is kind of what's going through my head right now, and, and I'm in the middle of something else, but I just need you to know this is where I'm at. And this is where I, I just want to thank you for this. And you go on about your day, and then a couple of minutes later, maybe you're saying, okay, God, thanks again for this. And it's this constant faithfulness in prayer, this communication that's not just when things go crazy. It's when, it's when things are normal, and you still have a normal conversation with God. And you can still lay some requests, and you can kind of honor Him and thank Him, and you can spend some time with Him. Some of you do a very good job of this. Some of you are what I would consider prayer warriors, right? People that we can put on, that other people like to put on pedestals. But guess what? You're just normal people who have consistent prayer and communication with God. We can all have that. We all should have that. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. One commentator I read said this, These three sets of injections in this test, dissimilar as they may appear, have a common basis of varying forms of one fundamental thought, love. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This idea is is really communicated as pursue hospitality. That word's better translated than the word pursue. When we pursue things, it's like with 
almost with a hostile intent, right? When we think about being pursued, it's like, I'm going to hospitalize you. Not hospitalize, hospitalize you. I guess that's the correct word. Hospitalize, it is kind of with angry intent, isn't it? Uh, so if you're going to, hospi- hospitality is really like love. So if you're angrily pursuing to love someone, that could get you a restraining order or it could do what God's wanting you to do, right? You're, you're, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to show them love, and even if they hurt me, or even if they're angry with me, or even if they're just kind of eh toward me, I'm going to continue to love them. And the way it's really written in Greek is pursue hospitality. And when people pursue you, bless and do not curse. See the play on words here again? It's this idea of we're going to pursue love. And when somebody's pursuing us with evil intent, it doesn't matter. Because we're going to continue to pursue. We're going to see that person, we're going to bless them. You know, what I, I, you know what, I love you too. And even though you're after me, even though you're out to get me, it doesn't matter. Because I'm out to get something that's bigger than me. I'm out, I'm out, my eyes are on something that's better than that. I'm not going to get tangled up in all that mess. I'm, I'm pursuing love. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul's kind of reiterating what he said a few years earlier in the letter to the, the church in Corinth. Okay, if you, if you go timeline, 1 Corinthians was written about three years, three, four years before the, book, uh, the letter to the Romans was written. And so in 1 Corinthians, verse uh, 26 of chapter 1 says this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were in, of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. He's kind of reiterating this thought here. And he says, you know, live in harmony. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. Uh, be willing to associate with people in a low position. Don't elevate yourself to be too cool for that or too good for that. One translation says, don't be wise in your own conceits. And another one says, make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. I love that thought. Because oftentimes we're too concerned about being the great somebody. You want to know how not to be the great somebody? Go to children's camp go to children's camp and you quickly realize that you're nobody special and you can't be too cool for children's camp because you have to be just in the moment with third through fifth graders being silly and goofy we every morning we would have a, a little uh, pickup game of basketball just our guys uh, me and joey and uh, all the boys would play and uh, you quickly realize that they are a lot younger than you and can move a lot faster than you can and then you realize just how much fun that is with those kids. And then you go to worship service, and you hear songs like, I'm going to throw up. 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 My hands in praise the Lord. I'm going to throw And that's how the song goes. And you're like, this is kind of dumb, but it's kind of funny too. And the kids are loving it. And it's the next verse is, I'm going to hurl. I'm going to hurl. My sin's right out the door. And they just keep going, and they dancing around. And you're just like, this is awesome. And they sing funny songs about, you know, the fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut and all those things that we kind of grew up with. But then, if you're silly with them and you're dancing with them, and they're looking at you like, old person, stop. Like, don't do that. 
time for worship, and they're singing songs that we sing here, like Lion and the Lamb. And, and we got a, a really neat opportunity. We sat kind of behind our kids and got to watch them. And, and as worship was drawing in, and you see those kids worshiping, and then they connect with you on a level because they know that you're not, you know, you're not just Pastor Matt. You're, you're somebody who cares about me. Listen, I got, I got more hugs from those knothead boys who went with us as the week progressed just because they were just grateful that I was there because they were grateful that I connected with them and I was silly with them and we'd play games and we'd, we'd be dumb in the cabin and we would laugh and we would tell silly stories and laugh at their dumb jokes and we were just there and you know what if I walked through that and I was no I'm not going to do that I'm, I'm, I'm too good for children of ten do you think that would have we had, we had three kids make decisions for Jesus at a children's we can't think that we're too good. And we can translate that into every area and arena in our life. When you go to Walmart and there's a kid that is just screaming and a parent who's just screaming back, do you walk away going, golly, they got to get their stuff together? Or do you go, God, let somebody introduce some mercy to that. God, if it's going to come in and do something to my kids, it would be very hard for me to be pastoral in that moment, right? I, I would want to pinch heads, right? Throat punch somebody. We're going to get it. We're going to get down to business because you're messing with my kids. But the Bible says very clearly here: don't repay evil for evil. Well, you don't know what that person's done to me. You know how bad they've talked about what they've done to my family. Do not repay evil for evil. Do is right. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. Don't take revenge. Those are hard words to swallow. God says, let me handle this. You do what you're supposed to do. You continue to love like you're supposed to be loved. You continue to pursue love. I'll handle the rest. And then he wraps it up and we're going to be done. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love this. When we try to retaliate, when we try to snap back, when we try to, uh, to, to do all the stuff that we're not supposed to do, you know what we become? We become the fool. We become the person who's attacking. Luther says this, He who answers a fool according to his folly becomes like him, who permits himself to become overcome with evil. He does not improve the fool, but rather falls into the same folly. But he who overcomes evil with good answers him in such a way that the fool no longer regards himself as wise, but recognizes his own folly and detests and regrets it. It's this idea of not stepping down to their level. We're not going to kind of overcome evil with evil. We're going to overcome evil with good. This idea has never been introduced before Jesus. Any other world religion at that time was all eye for an eye. I mean, it was all uh, kind of this for this. 
And then Jesus comes along and says, no, you're supposed to love people no matter what. And it's this brand new thought. And Paul's just reiterating what Jesus says over and over again, saying, don't try to overcome evil with evil. Do it, overcome evil with good. Be better. Rise above. And so here's the last thing, and I'm done. All this, our gifts, our service, our love, our presence in prayer, our pursuing of love, our understanding of ourselves and our position, our ability to live at peace with other people and willingness to overcome evil with good. The big question is, do you live like this? Can you take Romans chapter 12 and go, I'm pursuing this. I'm going to try to live life like this. Because what we often do is say, well, that's all Jesus stuff. Jesus did that, but we're not Jesus, so we can't really live like that. And I love the fact that this is not Jesus. This is Paul. Paul, who, who references himself as the chief among sinners, who says, of anybody else, I'm kind of been the worst, and here I am kind of standing in the grace that God's given me to, say, to tell you this. This is how I'm trying to live. This is how we should live with each other. So, church, can you do it? Can you really live it out? Maybe, maybe this last little verse, verse 21, is more internally than it is externally for you. Maybe this thought of overcoming evil is something that you have to kind of think about internally. Maybe I need to overcome this, this stuff that I've been dealing with this evil with the only thing that's good about me. And it's not about how you act, and it's not about your attendance at church, and it's not about the way you dress or the way you treat people. It's really about God. He's the only good thing that we have. He's the only good thing about us. Maybe we should allow Him to overcome some evil within us. God, I need you to come in. I need you to be real. There's 26 things that we just covered today about do this and don't do that. And God, I can't even begin because I've got so much junk in here that you've got to come in and overcome. For some of you, I believe that's the case. For some of us, I believe it's just the case of trying to actually do it. Setting our eyes on something bigger than ourselves and kind of beginning understanding the, the reality that we are very, very small and that He is really the most important. And when He's most important, we just live by what He has for us. It's very easy. We complicate Christianity. It's not that hard. See how small you are. See how big he is and do what he wants. It's very easy. The motivating factor behind all that is love. God, I love you. And I want to live like this for you. I want to quit playing games and quit leading in the wrong direction. I want to stop not using my gifts and begin to serve the way I'm supposed to serve because, God, you deserve it. I want to live like that, God, not because I'm good, not because I want any acclamation. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about how much I love you and how much you really mean to me and how I'm going to live my life really for you. Simple. Paul lines it all out. It's on us to do it. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. 
Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.